Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm very glad, as always, to have you with us. Um, You know, we've been talking a lot about public health and the work that public health officials have been doing in dealing with the pandemic, of course, coronavirus, and we'll continue doing that in the weeks and months ahead as need be. But we today are going to talk about the possibility of putting the work that public health does in terms of... uh, Uh, identifying and mitigating uh, diseases, what if it were applied to the epidemic of gun violence, the crisis of gun violence in the United States? That's one of the uh, contentions of the people who are guests on our show today, and I'll introduce them in just a minute. Let me just give you a quick look, though, at data uh, about gun violence. We, we already know that uh, shooting incidents in the city of Atlanta have reached staggering uh, proportions. They're in the headlines every single day. As of July 3rd, there were more than 400 shooting incidents since the beginning of the year. Homicides are up so far here by in Atlanta by 36%. But let me give you a quick look at the national numbers. Uh, the Gun Violence Archive, which is a really good source of information on what's happening with guns, uh, says that as of August 12th, there have been tw- uh, uh, 27,283 uh, gun deaths. So that's today. That's updated as of today. Of those, about 12,500 are homicides, murders, or unintentional deaths. And then 14,000-plus are suicides. And suicides figure into the conversation we're going to have today in terms of talking about uh, uh, guns in terms of the public health context. So all that said, let's introduce the panel and begin our conversation. First of all, I'm glad to welcome Leroy Chapman, the managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution today. Leroy, um, really, this show was inspired by a series of uh, opinion pieces that the paper is running called Voices Against Violence, and our three guests today uh, wrote one of those pieces, and, and, and they're the basis for why we're talking today. So, Leroy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're also joined by Dr. David Satcher, uh, who, of course, is, uh, his credentials are legion, former U.S. Surgeon General, former director of the Centers for Disease Control affiliated with Morehouse School of Medicine for many years, the founding director of the Satcher Health Leadership Institute. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Dr. Satcher. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We're also joined by Dr. Mark Rosenberg. He has been a guest on this show on a number of occasions. Mark was the founding director of the CDC's um, uh, injury Injury Prevention and Control uh, uh, unit back in the 90s, and you worked at that point, Dr. Rosenberg, for David Satcher, right? He was my boss at that time, and I couldn't have dreamed of a better boss. He had our back when this center came under fierce attack. It wasn't incoming bullet fire, but there sure was a lot of incoming fire. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and it put it in the context of 
uh, today. And we're also joined by Catherine Lawler, the executive director of the Archie Collaborative. Uh, Catherine, the Archie Collaborative is an interesting organization. You work to bring together partners from across the business and nonprofit uh, communities of Metro Atlanta to work on any number of different problems, including gun violence. But tell us what Archie stands for formally. Good morning. Uh, Archie is the Atlanta Regional Collaborative for Health Improvement. It's over 100 organizations with a shared 28-year commitment to improving health in Metro Atlanta by doing exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, getting to the root causes of our long-term chronic issues and naming and centering the issues of inequity that drive so many of our health challenges, including what we're going to talk about today. So it's great to be with you. So um, if I can start, the three of you wrote an editorial uh, opinion piece for the AJC. And, and with your permission, everybody, I'm going to read to you just the first couple of graphs of this. You say gun violence has reached frightening levels in Atlanta, and many experts predict it will get worse in the coming months. We want to avoid something even worse, the fatalism and hopelessness that affects all of us, including mayors, legislators, and journalists, when we can't understand the problem and can't even imagine how we can solve it. For many years, people thought that violence was just the result of evil forces in this world. It had always been present, and it would always go on. But 30 years ago, scientists at CDC published Violence in America, a public health approach, which made the case that violence is something we can understand and prevent if we base our response on science, focus our efforts on prevention, and work collaboratively. Um, that said, um, both Dr. Satcher and Dr. Rosenberg, uh, you were part of the work that went on back 30 plus years ago. Uh, Mark Rosenberg, you led the effort to study gun violence in more depth. Um, I guess the first question really is, Dr. Satcher, why as director of CDC back then did you want to empower Dr. Rosenberg to look at uh, gun violence? It's not something we normally think of CDC as being involved with. Well, thank you. I think the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, has a major role to play when it comes to gun violence in great part because gun violence is a major cause of death uh, in this country and especially in the black community. So there are a lot of questions that are seeking answers. And so if we're going to get to the bottom of the problem and engage in amelioration or prevention, then we've got to understand it better. So um, Mark and his group were trying to take a scientific approach to the issue of gun violence, uh, because in that way, we felt that we could prevent much of gun violence. So we can talk later about the disproportionate impact that gun violence has uh, on the black community and certain other communities. Yeah, we certainly want to do that. Uh, Dr. Rosenberg, um, even back then, uh, your work was focused on dealing with gun violence based on, you would say, science focused on prevention and working in a highly collaborative environment. What does that mean? Well, I think the focus on science, Bill, means that we live in a cause and effect world. Things happen for reasons. And if we can understand the reasons, we can change the outcomes. We can change the effects. 
And we said, we are not talking about rocket science, but by science, we mean asking and answering four simple questions. The first is, what's the problem? Who's getting shot? How many people? Where? When does it happen? What's the relationship between the shooter and the victim with what kind of weapon? Where does the weapon come from? And are these increasing or decreasing? But the first question science asks is, what is the problem? The second question is, what are the causes? What's the role of drugs? What's the role of alcohol? What's the role of domestic violence? What's the role of mental illness? What's the role of too easy access to firearms by people who legally can't have them? But what are the causes? That's the second question. The third question is, what work? If you want to prevent this, what will work to do it? Will putting armed guards in schools actually save kids' lives, or will it cause more people to be killed? Do laws requiring universal background checks prevent firearm deaths? But what works? And we said the only way you can know what works is to test it out, do research, and find out what works. And then the fourth question is, once you find something that works, how do you do it? How do you implement it? Who needs to be part of it? How do you scale something up from a test experimental result to policies and legislation? But this is what we mean by science. And we thought science had helped solve lots of problems in the public health domain. And we thought we could use it to look at this problem of violence and gun violence, because we said it's not just evil, but it's a problem that can be solved like other problems. Leroy, it's a well-known story and one that we've talked about on this show on a number of occasions, what happened when uh, Dr. Satcher gave uh, Dr. Rosenberg the go-ahead to work on collecting data on gun violence. Uh, he w they were shut down. Uh, Congress shut them down with what was known then as the Dickey Amendment, which in 1996 prohibited the agency from using its funding, the injury prevention funding, to advocate or promote gun control. It didn't actually prevent research, but it certainly put a stop to what they were doing, Leroy. And it tells us what a huge force politics was then and continues to be in the whole gun crisis. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, it's politics. Um, and if you think about then, uh, we had an NRA uh, that was well-funded, that was really uh, influential in, in elective politics. Uh, that has changed some today. Uh, there is influence, it's different. Uh, but but it, I think it goes also to the ability of politicians to talk about this in a way, uh, because this can't, it can't be reduced on a bumper sticker. So how do you have a complicated conversation uh, where you can show your constituents that you're addressing a problem but you don't want to because uh, uh, to appear to be soft on crime. And so some of the things that uh, occur when you've got politicians at any level, local, state, federal, begin to talk about the solutions and the solutions aren't about putting more police on the street. Uh, there can be, if you're uh, an elected politician, uh, the, the, the automatic defense mechanism of uh, I am not serious about solving this problem because the problem needs to be solved by policing. So policing is something that's comfortable for politicians, and that's not changed over the years. But uh, clearly, some other elements of politics have changed. 
Dr. Satcher, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and certainly you'll correct me if I'm wrong, or Dr. Rosenberg will, uh, the research that was going on back in the 90s at CDC was not aimed at um, gun control or reducing the availability of weapons. In other words, it didn't have a political agenda. It was an effort to examine gun violence through the public health perspective. And yet, NRA and their conservative allies shut it down as quickly as they could, right? Well, yeah, it was, it was sort of a shocking intervention. Um, and uh, Mark and his uh, group at the Injury Center had decided that this was the kind of problem where research could make a difference. We could ask the question, what is the problem? What is the cause of the problem? What works to prevent it? And how do we implement it? Those questions appropriately asked, we felt, could save lives in this country, and especially uh, in certain communities where gun violence uh, was sort of running rampant. and so I think it was, uh, it was an appropriate intervention. It was based on caring, just as we care about people dying from COVID-19. We care about um, people dying from gun violence, and we want to understand better why are some groups more susceptible to this, these kinds of deaths than others. So that was the basis for, for which um, the group in the injury center was uh, pursuing this this question, and they were outstanding Dr. scientists, Rosen- by the way. I, I apologize for interrupting you, Dr. Rosenberg. Uh, the end of the story for me, for you was that you were eventually fired because you wanted to pursue the research in gun violence, and uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association (JAMA) uh, just uh, about a week ago published a story on this with a headline saying gun violence researchers are making up for 20 years of lost time since you were uh, relieved of your responsibilities. Um, and they mean by that, that that Congress has now finally authorized a small amount, what, what is kind of a small amount, I think 25 plus million dollars to allow gun research to go forward again at the agency, right? Yes. And this is what I think is the big news now is that after 20 years of no federal funding, essentially none, for gun violence prevention research, the gates have been opened again. The funding is flowing again, and there's $25 million that's divided between NIH and CDC to restart this research. And that is so important, Bill, because during the 20 years when there was essentially no federal funding for gun violence research, we lost more than 600,000 lives. 600,000 people died, and they needn't have died. So that the funding has been restored is really big. And ironically, the biggest ally I had in working to get the funding restored was Jay Dickey, the person you mentioned behind the Dickey Amendment who initially thought that we needed to stop this research. And a a parallel here with the COVID-19 pandemic is the role of misinformation. It played a huge role, as we know, in terms of keeping people from being vaccinated, keeping people from appropriately wearing masks and keeping social distance, is misinformation. 
And with gun violence, the misinformation that was disseminated said there is no way to take guns away from people who shouldn't have them without taking away everyone's guns. There's no way to separate those. That was big misinformation. And Jay Dickey initially bought into that, but then came to see that, no, this was a horrendous problem, and we could find things that worked. So Jay Dickey and then his former wife, Betty Dickey, the the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Arkansas, joined the fray, and with many other groups working with us, we got that funding restored. That is big news. That's really important news because now we can find out what works to keep guns away from people who shouldn't have them but not take away the rights of legitimate law-abiding gun owners. Catherine, I want to bring you into the conversation. And then, Leroy, I would invite you next if you have some questions or observations you want to uh, make with the panel. Catherine, uh, let's let's talk about your role in all of this at at Archie. Um, You understand that... I think you would probably say politicians need to be involved to some extent in dealing with this process, but it's a much bigger issue. It's a matter of other community uh, engagement, right? Mental health professionals, um, uh, you know, people who are dealing in the hospital community. It's a it's a much bigger bigger issue, and that's what you work on at Archie, right? Yes, exactly, and. I think, you know, what Mark is saying is we still have um, more to learn, but we are absolutely sure that the solution is going to require a cross-sector approach. We need uh, folks who don't always work together to work together. That will involve uh, police, that will involve politicians, but it also involves all the uh, sectors you already mentioned, mental health, community development, people living in quality housing, having good access to education. These are the root causes that we know drive this Trends, the spikes that we're seeing now. And if we're really going to um, bend the curve, that's what we have to do. Now, doing that is easier said than done um, because uh, I always find that collaboration is something everybody wants to do, but the, the operationalizing that means breaking down, you know, a word that we all use all the time, silos. Um, and so Archie is one of many examples in our community of where we're making that a regular way of working because there's just this... Uh, expectation that we are a community of so many powerful assets that strength that we have a right to demand different outcomes uh, on gun violence and all kinds of health conditions. So that's really where it comes together is exactly what Mark and, and David are saying. Let's apply the science, but then let's provide a platform for operationalizing that consistently over time so that the change happens and then can be sustained. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the things from a, pr- the pr- perspective of the newspaper as we think about uh, covering violence in our community. Uh, one of the things that is, is critical to this, too, is public understanding and also the public demands of doing something different. Uh, so we just spoke about politics and how politics has been pretty predictable in this, that it's very easy to talk about law and order in response to violence, very difficult to talk about the root causes. But I think more public understanding about the necessity of, of addressing the root causes and doing exactly what you said, which is identifying them and then holding accountable public officials for delivering solutions is the next step for our country and certainly the next step for this community. Uh, we're in the field right now with a poll, just polling Atlantans, and we're asking them about 
do they think that what they're seeing right now as a response to the spike in violence is adequate? Uh, we're going to continue some of that polling. And one of the things that we hope to do uh, in our role in helping to affect the conversation about violence is to elevate the understanding. And maybe that will draw firmer lines of accountability to solutions that, are, that go beyond just law enforcement. Um, I, I want to drill down and talk about some of the ways in which we can be specific about what it means to take a public health approach uh, to uh, gun violence. But, but before we do that, Dr. Satcher, let's continue to identify the problem. You mentioned at the start of the show that um, uh, this, is a, this is a crisis that particularly, particularly impacts the African-American community. I think about 80% of the homicides in Atlanta uh, the victims are African-American. It's the leading cause of death for African-American youths and adults, men, males in Atlanta. So this has a, a, an enormous and outsized impact on black people in the city. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and I think uh, our current mayor has uh, really found this to be painful and frustrating, to trying to get a handle on it. So it's, the need is tremendously great to find answers. And somehow uh, the Injury Prevention Center under Mark's leadership identified that need, you know, more than 20 years ago. And uh, when putting forth a strategy for finding answers, of course, uh, they lost their funding. Um, I, I was naive in the sense that I had never heard of Congress intervening in that way, and in you know in terms of saying you know we don't want you to do this kind of research. So it was um, it was quite an experience for all of us, I think, when that happened. And I just must say that in, many years later, Jay Dickey not only changed um, his position, um, he was, became very supportive of Mark and and the work they were doing there. So we've come a long ways. It's just taken a long time. You think about all the things that could have happened over the last 20 years in terms of new information and prevention and promotion. It's really sad that it happened and that we missed out. And yet we don't have time to just bemoan that. It's time now to move forward. And I think uh, hopefully this kind of discussion will help us uh, in the strategy for moving forward with the research in that area. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about what we could be doing in terms of a public health approach. Uh, Leroy, one of the uh, uh, opinion pieces that was published on, in this series uh, was by two, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, people from Grady Hospital. And, and one of the things that they talk about is a, uh, is a program that's been established at a number of hospitals around the country. It doesn't exist at, at, at Grady at this point. Um, that would, that essential, among other things, here's what they look at, uh, Leroy, and, and you add to this. A victim of a gunshot wound comes into Grady Hospital. What they have learned um, in, in, in settings around the country is that someone who's the victim of gunshot who recovers and then is released is very likely to have one of two things or maybe both happen 
that person will go out and seek retribution uh, and become a shooter, her or himself, or, and maybe also, return as a victim again of some gunshot injury. All of that suggests a, um, an approach that deals with social issues, not law enforcement, right? Absolutely, it does. So if, if I can uh, point to something that APS has been doing for years, uh, they've been talking about conflict resolution. And uh, so one of the things that, that happens even early on as children, uh, addressing the issues of conflict resolution is important. Now, when you think about uh, someone who gets to be an adult or, or close to an adult or a teen uh, and you, you don't have those skills, uh, sometimes uh, the conflict resolution, if you cannot settle the, them without escalation, uh, there's a certain point where guns can be involved. And we see that as a matter of routine in the city. So that's exactly what they're trying to address, is that uh, if we can get to a point where uh, treatment, we can get treatment for someone who suffers the trauma of a gunshot uh, wound, uh, you survive that, there is, there is trauma there. Of course, it's sort of natural for retribution. It's not to say that that's an irrational response to want some sort of retribution. But we also have someone who, uh, if they're given uh, the, the, the proper treatment to, to be able to reintegrate and understand the cost of that retribution. And so when we begin looking at the shooting, this uptick in shootings, there is a, a big percentage, and I, and I don't really know the number, but we're actually looking at some point through data now, where they are defined by the retribution part of it. And so when you think about mentally, the mental health needs of someone who has been affected by that, they are acute. Um, we have young men who are leaving the hospital who are physically diminished. Some walk out and they're 17, 18, 19 years old, and they have colostomy bags and things like of that nature. And if you have to deal with that psychologically, uh, about how at a young age in your life is being just, I mean, you're just beginning life and you're having to deal with something uh, that is that, uh, you know, that ha that will put limits upon your life. Uh, it is something to deal with. You can't let that person walk out the door, go right back into the same scenario and not expect to have what we are, what the, the results that we're getting. Uh, Mark, the, uh, the the program that I was talking about in some hospitals have established around the country uh, is the Hospital-Based Violence Intervention Program, HVIP, and the uh, essay in the AJC is advocating for Grady getting involved in that as well. But but that's a really clear example of, of, a, of a health approach, a holistic approach to dealing with violence, right? It is, it's a great example, and it has great potential. One of the things that our research showed is that young men are often involved in domestic violence. And I think researchers time and time again have showed that men are not very good at using their words to resolve conflict or to solve the things that make them angry. And they often resort to physical violence, and they sometimes use guns in domestic violence. And so one way to prevent things like that is to keep people who are accused and convicted of domestic violence, whether it be a misdemeanor or a felony, keep them from getting guns or having guns. But another approach, <clears throat> excuse me, is to start working with young men 
and teach them the conflict resolution skills. Teach them very simply how to listen and use your words to resolve differences and conflicts. It's a tremendous gap in abilities to do that between boys and girls and men and women, but it suggests that we can start closing that gap. Another thing I just wanted to say about the public health approach bill, and this was a problem with the headlines in our op-ed. It said, we can cure a public health ill. Violence is not a public health ill. It is a human ill. It is a problem that affects all of us. And yes, public health can contribute to it and help solve it, but it's a problem that belongs to all of us. And as Catherine said, public health is a partner in this, but has to work with criminal justice, has to work with the police, has to work with schools, has to work with the courts, with urban settings and landlords. Public health is one partner in a human problem and one partner trying to solve it. Uh, Catherine, before I get to a break, um, it, what, what, what you're all talking about is really a reframing that is probably a little difficult for some people to grasp. I mean, we think of gun violence as a law enforcement issue. Leroy said that at the beginning of the show. So we have uh, some uh, partisans on one side of the aisle pushing for increasing police forces, making sure, you know, talking now about the state coming in with law enforcement to police the city of Atlanta's streets. It's we, we always frame it specifically as a law enforcement issue, but organizations like yours and what Mark just described is this really holistic approach, which brings in people who are in, interested in housing issues, job issues, um, all of that is part of what you all see as a way to address gun violence. Yeah, and absolutely, Bill. And, and really, if we can just take a second and look at the history of when we've made huge advances in our human health, our public health, when we went from you know having life expectancy barely in the 40s to possibly in the 80s, it's when we applied both the science and understood place. And there was a time when we thought, you know, cholera was floating in the air or was related to your bad attitude. And we finally understood that we needed a public infrastructure like sewers to get rid of a disease. And so it is the same when we uh, had to convince uh, doctors that they should wash their hands in between surgeries and what a benefit that was. But we misunderstood the problem and we weren't applying the right solutions. And so I think we've made every leap forward. And when we have both this great expectation that we can do it, but when we frame the uh, problem appropriately, the good thing about doing it that way is we get to tap into so much more. When we only frame it as a criminal justice issue, then we only have a certain set of tools. When we understand it in its entirety, we really can bring everything we have great in our society to bear on a very serious issue. Okay, thank you for that. I am really late for the first break. Jesse, Sam, and Amelia are wringing their hands saying, take a break, take a break. We'll do that right now and be back with more. We're talking today about expanding our understanding of how to fight gun violence. Our guest, Dr. David Satcher, former U.S. Surgeon General, former Director of the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, who was at CDC and headed the Center for Injury Prevention and Control under 
Dr. Satcher, and then went on and became the president of the Task Force for Global Health, one of the major public health agencies in the world, and Catherine Lawler, executive director of Archie. And my AJC partner today is Leroy Chapman, the managing editor of the AJC. Uh, Dr. Satcher, let me start uh, with this. Uh, in the essay that the three of you penned for uh, the paper, uh, you uh, say that the scientific approach uh, it, based on evidence, has been used to tackle some of the most challenging problems of our times, saving millions of lives from smallpox, can smallpox cancer, heart disease, and motor vehicle crashes. And I, I think it's interesting to look at motor vehicle crashes as an example of what public health can do, because it was after um, data was collected on why automobile crashes took place, what happened to the, what were the injuries sustained, how were they sustained, that research led to dramatic changes in how automobiles were built and in laws regulating uh, uh, automobiles on the road, right? Yeah, uh, no question about it. And I think it, it helps to point out how critical it is that we bring uh, the scientific approach to bear uh, on this issue. Something we have not mentioned, but I guess is always on our plate, and that is mental health. As mm -hmm. Surgeon General, I had the opportunity to release the first ever Surgeon General's report on mental health. And I say that because I think it is an area that's always there, and yet somehow we fail to discuss it and pursue it in a way that could ultimately make a difference. I'm happy that that's changing, that we are beginning to talk about mental health more. I know that mental health and mental illnesses are part of, of, of these problems in terms of how people look at themselves and how they look at others. And so um, integrating discussions of mental health into this discussion, I think, is part of the science that we're talking about uh, better understanding and better applying to the problem. Leroy? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I think that's important for uh, this, the state of uh, at Georgia and certainly um, Metro Atlanta is that uh, that mental health piece uh, that I think has been um, uh, under-discussed uh, that, that there is uh, a ripe opportunity to discuss it now. Uh, in the legislature, uh, there was a bill, a, a, an effort by the Speaker of the House uh, to say, here's how we're going to address violence. And there is a mental health component in, in that. Uh, we can debate the adequacy of it and uh, the, media, the immediacy of it, uh, but at least it's a start. So ultimately, uh, if there's going to be a solution to this problem that goes beyond law enforcement, it's going to have to be leaders who are in our in our state house? Who are in the governor's mansion? Who are at city hall? Who are at county commissions uh, across Metro Atlanta? Uh, they're going to have to embrace this. They're going to have to educate themselves, and they're going to have to withstand the politics of it because uh, they have to make decisions as every politician does, which is you know how do I dispense critical funding to address an issue? And mental health for some folks. Uh, may not be the kind of thing that you can campaign on. Uh, so if our politicians, our political class, gets to that level of maturity, understanding, and commitment to have a deeper conversation, uh, it'll, it'll happen. 
And so uh, I think some of us are looking at what happened with uh, the Speaker of the House, including that. Let's talk about mental health in this. It's certainly a step forward. Mark? Um, I think David hit and Leroy on a really important issue, this problem of mental health. And a couple of basic um, settings for this. First, our mental health services in this country and in this state are horrendous. They're inadequate, they don't reach the people who need to be reached, and they don't reach the people with quality services. We have a long, long way to go, and though Speaker Ralston's aim is good, the amounts are laughably inadequate to improve the system. We absolutely need to improve services here. Second, most violence is not committed by people who are mentally ill, and most mentally ill people are more frequently the victims of violence and perpetrators of violence. And finally, what we need to do is find ways to pick out those people who are mentally ill and at the same time at risk of serious injury to themselves. Again, you mentioned almost two-thirds of all gun deaths are suicides. We need to find the people who are mentally ill and at serious risk of injury or death to themselves or to others. And we can find ways to do all three of these things. We can fix the system, we can find the people at risk, and we can deliver services appropriately to those people. So again, this is an area where we can make great strides. We just need to focus on it and be able to do the work. Catherine, I thought about you when I was reading the piece in uh, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, about the research, about the fact that we now have uh, some federal funding for studying gun violence. And here's the paragraph that made me think of your organization. It refers to a woman named Krista Mahari, a clinical psychologist at the University of South Alabama. She's organized, says JAMA, uh, Advisory boards made up of gun owners, young adults, community members, gone to gun shows and barbershops, worked with juvenile court judges and trauma centers to recruit participants for the surveys she's doing. And uh, what she plans to do is to use her resources to build out a national survey that will help us understand all the vast implications of what leads to uh, gun violence. And, and that strikes me as exactly what your approach is all about. You're welcome to elaborate on that. But I also want to ask you, do you see any will among our political leadership, aside from, as Leroy points out, fairly, you know, some money going into mental health resources, to provide the kind of resources that will really help um, a, a, a collaborative effort of organizations move forward on this problem? Well, let me just start by commenting on what you quoted from the JAMA article. And I think that emphasizes, again, a point that Dr. Satcher and Rosenberg have already raised, which is if we're going to begin with real inquiry in our scientific process, what she is doing there is really going to those who are intimately involved in all aspects of the issue and listening very closely to where they are and understanding. And that's an important part of in our conversation today about reframing is that we have to let go perhaps of ideas that we may have and, and get keenly um, in tune with where people are, all of those who are being affected by the problem. And, and that's a part of all public health approaches, but is absolutely essential to this work. Now, you ask about the will to do this. Where I think it's coming from is that um, coming, well, we're not out of, but whatever we've been through, 
and we are going to continue to struggle through. Um, we have a shared expectation that we can be better. Now, I think what the three of us and many others are saying is we have a lot of work to figure out how to be better. But where the momentum can come from is because the, there is an expectation that we are a community that has a right to expect more and that we have the capability to do it. And I, and I just want to say that it's always important when we talk about money to know we are already spending tons of money. The question is, are we spending it in the right way? So in Fulton and DeKalb counties alone, we're spending um, over $11 billion a year in health care, which is often, you know, at the end of the problem, taking care of someone after the, the gun violence has occurred. We've seen rises in, in the cost of policing, and we're putting money on the table. So our question should never be, you know, is there enough? It's, it should start with how are we spending it and how can we um, make sure that we're aligning it in a way that makes the, the difference that everybody has a right to expect. So I remain very optimistic um, that those expectations will turn into a fundamentally different approach. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that, that has to happen, too, is uh, we're going to need uh, more champions for this. Uh, I think talking about it in a kind of conventional political manner, uh, that uh, probably isn't going to create the splash as having real champions. And those champions are people in our community. Those champions are going to have to be people in the political class. They're going to have to make some demands about how to spend that money and whether or not uh, we need to either add more or to reallocate. And I will just remind, too, that in the city, you know, our mayor, uh, and this was in 2017, her own nephew was killed in a drive-by shooting. This was a young man who had, was a graduate, who had a bright future, some case of mistaken identity, and he was killed. And if you go back and look at how she spoke about this in personal terms, uh, it is that sort of uh, immediacy and that sort of, uh, I think, plain spokenness that's going to be need needed in order to be able to get people to understand the depths of it. I mean, there is some, I, I guess, you know, you would call it uh, understandable fear among many of us about the threat of violence, of course. But there is a disproportionate impact on African-Americans. And when the mayor of the city, it doesn't matter what station in life you're in, it can affect you. And so if you think about who Atlanta is, this, this area is uniquely, uh, I think, uh, positioned to have a serious conversation about this because, uh, one, Unfortunately, uh, it touches a lot of us, but but there are a lot of African Americans here who can talk about this issue in a way that is personal, that could move the needle on saying, this is not something we're going to arrest our way out of. This is a problem that has to do with many things, health care, generational poverty, all the things that are the underlying causes of this. Dr. Satcher, I have to get to our final break of the show, but before I do, I mentioned Krista Mahari, the clinical psychologist at the University of South Alabama, and she had an interesting quote in the JAMA piece. She said, I think what we're going to discover as we do our research are unique risk, factor, risk factors related to situations or environments or other contextual things that are going to help us prevent more deaths and save more lives. And the reason I single that out is that we already have some ideas of how you can take a holistic approach through public health and, and, and other uh, organizational efforts to dealing with gun violence. But what she points out is we don't even know what we might discover if there's a great deal of research done in this area, right? That's right. And that's, that's the beauty of science and research is that uh, we find out even what we don't know 
and um, and and how best to apply it to solving problems. So um, some very interesting things are coming to light as we study the problem. And uh, you know we we are aware of the problem in Atlanta, but uh, throughout the country in cities like Atlanta, Birmingham has a Morehouse graduate as a mayor is really um, in the throes of this problem and overwhelmed in some ways by two murders a day. And so um, this is a serious problem, and it does uh, significantly disproportionately impact the African-American community. But, um, but that's, that's an observation. But the question, and one that Mark uh, will certainly help us to get to over time, uh, is uh, what is the cause? You know, why is it? Uh, and we can't afford to assume. It's what he always tells us. We can't just assume that, uh, you know, that it's this or that. We've got to study it. All right. I've got to get to the final break of the show. We'll be back with a little bit more after these messages. Mark Rosenberg, uh, the city of Atlanta is in the middle of a mayoral election. I wonder if there is any effort to talk to the candidates who are running for mayor about this sort of holistic approach that you, Catherine Lawler, and David Satcher have all written about. I think this is the right time, Bill, and it's a really good point you raise. I think we need to hold the candidates accountable, the candidates and journalists accountable for saying more than, oh, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad for the victims and we have to lock up these bad people. It's time to go beyond that. And I think all three of us hope that with our op-ed, we raise these questions, not only that we can ask the candidates, but we must ask and they must answer. And by this point in the show, I think your audience knows the questions. What's the problem? Who's getting shot? How many people? Where? When? How is it happening? With what kind of weapons? What are the causes? What's the role of socioeconomic determinants of poverty? What's the role of systemic racism that's so ingrained in our society and has such bad effects? What works? What do we know from the science? Let's find out how to do it. And fourth, how do we mobilize these? Who are you going to get to do it? Um, so I think we have to hold people accountable. We have to ask them these questions and demand that they come up with the answers. Catherine Lawler, um, what we're used to from politicians these days is thoughts and prayers, and it has to be more than that. Yeah, absolutely, especially when we have folks on the ground doing great work that is ready to be scaled up. We have partners like uh, who are supporting the cure violence work. We have people who are working to invest in kids on the West Side in a program called Gangsters to Growers. We have the NE Casey Foundation calling on in a separate op-ed and the Candida Fund to say philanthropy has a role in this. So it is, it's not only an expectation that we could have the answers, but we're, we've, people are lining up to say we're willing to help. Um, and that we have the opportunity to do that and do that well. And so I think it's really um, just ours to take a hold. And as Mark said, it's time for leadership to speak into the complexity of the problem because we, we all know too well um, that it's simplistic answers don't get us where we want to go. Uh, Dr. Satcher, do you see hope that we're going to turn a corner and start looking at gun violence in a different light? 
Well, I think we are in the process of turning that corner. And I must, if I don't get a chance again, to say how much uh, we appreciate the contribution that you're making, that the, the media and this program. I think, um, you know, we could have written an op-ed piece and, and it, that would have been, been, would have been the end of it. But I think you're making sure that we continue to pursue this issue, and we appreciate that. Uh, and it's an issue that deserves that kind of attention. And uh, but we have to keep we have to keep at it until we find some answers. Well, coming from you, uh, Dr. Satcher, that's a, a compliment that we are very grateful uh, uh, for. Leroy Chapman, that applies to you. You're continuing uh, your series of op-eds on this subject at the AJC, right? Absolutely. Uh, we're committed to solutions, so we will give a platform for folks who are like you, who understand the issue and want to talk about it on a very deep level. Uh, we're committed to covering this and uh, being a watchdog and holding our politicians accountable. Um, Sam Burmes does. What's our time? Where are we in terms of time right now? Give me a quick uh, heads up. Two minutes. Mark Rosenberg, you're my old friend. Tell me with a matter. You got about 40 seconds to tell me what we what I have missed as the host of this show today. As, as your friend, you know, I'll be honest with you and tell you what you missed. Uh, you didn't miss a thing. You did a great job. And this is a great service. I do want to say, though, at the end, that I think all three of us, and I speak for Leroy as well, I think we're hopeful. We will find an answer. Don't give up. There are not too many guns to address. There are not too many murders to solve. We can and we will find a way to get out of this. Everything that public health tackled, the big problems, smallpox, car crashes, people thought were just accidents, they just happened. COVID-19, we're making progress. We will make progress on this. Stay hopeful. Yes. Dr. Mark Rosenberg, you get the last word on today's show. Uh, Dr. David Satcher, Catherine Lawler, Leroy Chapman, thank you for a fascinating conversation that I think reframes an issue that we think of in such narrow terms most of the time. Leroy, uh, people can look at the AJC uh, website and see these op-ed pieces, and we'll, of course, have uh, more on this in the weeks and months ahead on gun violence. We're out of time for today's show. We'll return to a conversation about political headlines tomorrow. We're going to have our old friend Sam Olins and Michael Thurman uh, on tomorrow's show, and Patricia Murphy, the AJC political reporter and columnist, will be with me for that conversation. So that's it for today. I appreciate all of you being with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask in the, in, when you're inside. Please, this Delta variant is really spreading quickly. And if for some reason you haven't gotten a vaccine yet, please go do it. It's good for you and for all of us. See you tomorrow.